another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are breaking down the last college football slate of the year, or is it the first college football slate of the year? We are breaking down New Year's Day 2024. We've got a five-game college football slate, two of which are the college football playoff. If you are watching on YouTube, you can see who I am repping. I finally get to break down my Texas Longhorns being in the college football playoff. So on this episode, we are going to break down the five-game New Year's Day 2024 slate, um, and we are going to tell you who you need to be targeting for your DFS lineups on DraftKings and FanDuel. We are going to break it down game by game, position by position, and give you my thoughts and my plays as to how you need to be constructing your lineups because this is a very interesting interesting New Year's Day slate. We've got a huge contrast in the types of teams that we're seeing, in the game environments that we're seeing, and there's going to be a lot of options for constructing your lineup. So if you have been with us for the entirety of college football bowl season and you've been paying attention to how many guys on here I've talked about being in the transfer portal and opting out and declaring for the draft, there's not as much of that today because ain't nobody opting out of a college football playoff game. So um, today is going to be more about the strategy component for, you know, the DFS lineup building as opposed to, you know, actually analyzing who is actually playing in the bowl games, you know, because they didn't opt out or enter the transfer portal. So um, that is going to be what today's episode looks like. If you have been with us for the entirety of college football season. Well, thank you for joining us, and I look forward to having you back next season. Um, but I strongly encourage you. Um, we are not a one-sport podcast here at Mike's Money Picks. We cover college basketball, NFL, and golf season is starting up as well. So um, I strongly encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the audio feed. Um, that way you can check out those other sports as well. If you enjoy college football DFS, you will also probably very likely enjoy college basketball DFS. There is not as much sharp money in it, very similar to college football. Um, there is not as much research and projections that go into it, much like college football. So it's a very winnable sport if you are able to put in the research and you know put in the time and find the right place. So I strongly encourage you to check that out if you've been with us for the entirety of college football season. Also, if you were interested in playing some fantasy golf, we had a big announcement last week with our one and done golf league. Um, please check out my Twitter feed at Mike's Money Picks or um, the YouTube channel or the, the audio feed for that episode if you want to join the One and Done Golf League. All right, so without further ado, we've got five games to break down, two of which are the 2023 college football playoffs. So um, let's go ahead and end the introduction there and let's go ahead and kick things off with talking about game number one, the ReliaQuest Bowl. <laughs> First game of New Year's Day 2024 is the ReliQuest Bowl between Wisconsin and LSU. I do believe that this used to be the Outback Bowl, which I actually miss the Outback Bowl because every year they do the promotion where, you know, if the team won, you, you got a free appetizer. And it was always the SEC that got the Bloomin' Onion, and the SEC team always won. And so um, I, I love a good Bloomin' Onion, y'all. And I love it even more when it's free. So I do miss that promotion. But um, anyway, we got ourselves a nice little football game here. Um, LSU is a 10-point favorite over Wisconsin, and the total is 55.5. So the implied total is about 33 to 23 in favor of LSU. Um, I never do the decimal points with the implied totals because you can't actually go out and score decimal points on a football field. So um, 33 to 23 in favor of LSU. This is projecting to be a fairly high scoring game. And Wisconsin is a team that is fairly intact um, in terms of like all the portaling and opting out. They've got a lot of their guys. Um, Tanner Mordecai is going to be their quarterback. Um, he's a transfer from SMU. And he was just okay this season. At the start of the season, in the new look Wisconsin, um, you know, Phil Longo offense, he, he kind of opened things up a little bit more, but was definitely throwing the ball more at the start of the season. Um, and then Tanner Mordecai got hurt. They went back to more run heavy ways, and, and they really kind of struggled in the second half of the season, but Mordecai brought it back at the end of the season. Um, Mordecai hasn't scored more than 20 fantasy points in a game since week four. 
But this matchup against LSU is by far the best matchup that he has had. The Big Ten features a lot of really good defenses and a lot of offenses that play at a really slow tempo and grind out clock. So there just hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity for Wisconsin to get caught up in shootouts. Um, and I think that this is a chance against LSU that they could. We've targeted this LSU defense all season long in SEC play on main DraftKings slates. Um, and so I actually think Tanner Mordecai is squarely in play, um, in my opinion. And I think the quarterback on this five-game slate, I think I think there is genuinely eight quarterbacks that are in play. Um, and so I don't think the ownership on any one of the individual quarterbacks is going to be a whole lot. I think a lot of people are going to opt to pay up for two quarterbacks. Um, and so paying down for one and playing Tanner Mordecai might be something that can make you a little different. And it's definitely a valid strategy on this slate. Now, on the LSU side, obviously they do not have Heisman Trophy winner um, Jaden Daniels. They will be starting Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, he has been the backup all season long. He's played a little bit in relief of Daniels in like blowouts or like when Daniels went to the medical tent. Um, I don't know that much about him. Um, I do not believe he is the runner that Daniels is. Um, you know, he did come into that Alabama game um, and, and play a few drives, and, and I don't remember him being very much of a running threat in that. So um, I don't think he gives you that same rushing upside that Jaden Daniels gave, um, but I think he is objectively a value on this slate um, because he's coming in at only $7,700 on DraftKings, and his team is implied 33 points, and so if LSU is implied to score 33 points, you know, that would kind of mean that Nussmeyer's likely to throw for two, three, or maybe even four touchdowns, and in a price tag of only $7,700, I think that is very reasonable. Now, at the running back position, um, Wisconsin is without their top two backs. Um, Ches Malusi got hurt in the middle of the season. Braylon Allen is declared for the NFL draft. Um, and so they are left with Jackson Acker and Katie Iacomelli listed as co-starters. Now, Acker was the guy that was kind of operating as the starter at the end of the season. Um, he had an undisclosed injury, though, but apparently he is playing in the bowl game. Um, but the one word of caution is that they were listed as co-starters on the depth chart. So I definitely think that both Acker and Yakimeli are going to see some run in this game. And speaking of run, LSU is a team that you can run on. LSU has given up some big rushing days this season. They gave up 30 fantasy points to Quinshawn Judkins of Ole Miss, 35 fantasy points to Cody Schrader of Missouri, 28 fantasy points to Trevor Etienne of Florida, and 23 fantasy points to Marcus Carroll of Georgia State. So LSU is a run defense that you can definitely target. I wish I knew for certain which one was going to be getting more carries between Acker and Yakamelli, but I think if you were making enough lineups, you can make a case that you need to play a little bit of both of them because there is a chance that one of them could definitely pop off in this game. And also, with all the expensive quarterbacks and receivers on this slate, you're going to have to back end it with some value. Um, and so playing one of these two guys at 4,500 or 4,000 is one way that you can do that. Now, on the LSU side, you've got Logan Diggs, um, who is playing in this bowl game. Um, he was pretty solid around the middle of the season, and then he kind of got banged up um, from there. Um, I also think that with no Jaden Daniels, that could be a recipe for him getting more work in the running game, um, as well as not getting his touchdowns vulture because Jaden Daniels does have a habit of rushing for touchdowns. Um, so I think that would really bode well for Logan Diggs, um, you know, playing with Garrett Nussmeyer as opposed to Jaden Daniels. Now, Logan Diggs over the course of the season had 14 or more carries in five games. And in those five games, he had no fewer than 11 fantasy points. Um, and three of those games, three of those five were over 20 fantasy points. So Logan Diggs, when the workload has been there, has been a very productive player in DFS. Um, and I definitely think that that's a possibility here on this slate with Jaden Daniels not playing.
Now, let's go ahead and talk about the wide receiver position. So, LSU does have all three of their big three wide receivers intact. Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., and Kyron Lacey, as well as their tight end, Mason Taylor. Um, in my opinion, they're priced as if Daniels is the quarterback. Um, I would have preferred to see them get a little bit of a price drop, but I totally understand why the DraftKings algorithm didn't account for that. Um, in my opinion, though, no receiver on the slate, and there's some good ones on this slate, no receiver on the slate has either the floor or the ceiling as Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors has been over 20 fantasy points in 10 straight games. That is an incredible streak. And in that span, he has had seven games over 30 fantasy points. That combination of floor plus ceiling is something that you do not see with everybody. And I think that Neighbors is objectively the best wide receiver play on the slate. The question becomes if you can you know, make enough salary, find enough value to get him in there, especially if you want to play two of the bigger quarterbacks on the slate. Now, what's even more impressive is that when you look at neighbors next to his teammate, Brian Thomas, Neighbors outscores him by about seven fantasy points per game on the season, but Brian Thomas actually um, had one more touchdown this season than Malik Neighbors. So that just goes to show you how much more Neighbors is doing it in terms of the catches and the yards, um, you know, than pretty much anybody else in the rest of college football. Um, I think that my main interest in Thomas and Lacey would be as a pivot off of Neighbors. Um, I probably would not play them both together. I would probably play Thomas as leverage against people playing neighbors. Now, on the Wisconsin side, they have actually a legitimate option at wide receiver, and that is Will Pauling. Will Pauling has really come into his own as the wide receiver one this season, especially in the second half of the season. Um, he scored over 14 fantasy points in seven of his last eight games, um, which is pretty darn good, especially for a guy who's coming in at only 4600 on DraftKings. I think objectively, he should be much higher priced than he is, and I think he is objectively a value, especially when you consider that LSU is a really good matchup for um, opposing offenses. Now, the other starters on the depth chart, um, Bryson Green is listed as a starter. He does have a Q tag next to his name. I think he is their second most talented wide receiver in that receiving core. Um, and then you've also got Vinny Anthony, um, the second, who was making a little bit of run near at the end of the season, but never really popped off for a big game. Um, he is listed as a starter on the depth chart, as well as CJ Williams um, is listed as a starter on the depth chart. So, um, you know, those are the guys that you got for Wisconsin. Um, I wouldn't mind taking a dart throw at one of those guys, especially if you are playing Tanner Mordecai. I think if I'm playing Mordecai, I would probably stack it up with Mordecai, Pauling, and then maybe even a second Wisconsin wide receiver. That would really create a lot of value that would allow you to play a lot of the big guns um, for your other quarterback and your other wide receivers. All right, now the second game of the day is going to be the Verbo Fiesta Bowl, which is going to be between Liberty and Oregon. And I think this is, I'm going to call it the Rude Awakening Bowl because Liberty has not played a team anywhere near the caliber of Oregon the entirety of the season. Liberty has played one of the weakest schedules in all of FBS college football. And while they are 13-0, and I don't know if they're actually any good. So this spread in this game does not surprise me. Um, Oregon is 16 and a half point favorites with a total of 67 and a half. That means that the implied total is 42 to 26 in favor of the Oregon Ducks. That makes it the highest game total of the day, and it makes Oregon the highest team total of the day. So um, I definitely think this is a game that you're going to want to target. And I think that Liberty, even if you don't think they're any good, I still think they're going to be able to score points. Um, both Oregon and Liberty operate at a fast tempo. Liberty with the Hugh Freeze system, it is a very run-heavy system, but it is a system that gets plays off at a very fast manner. Um, and so even if they go down, they're going to be getting off a lot of plays and having a lot of opportunities to accumulate fantasy points over the course of the game. 
Now, at the quarterback position, in my opinion, Bo Nix is objectively the best play of the day at the quarterback position. Um, I think he is likely to finish the slate as the top scoring quarterback, um, and I think he is probably the one I will be playing the most of in my lineups. Um, he averages well over three times value for his salary. We've talked about all season long how three times value is kind of like the baseline, where if you're playing a GPP, three times value out of everybody will likely get you to the min cash line. If you're playing a cash game, three times value out of everybody would likely get you cashing as well. Um, so the fact that he averages that is like well over that is pretty darn good. Um, he's been over three times value in five straight games, which is pretty consistent. And he's hit four times value for his salary, which requires a massive 36 fantasy points. He has done that three times over the course of the season. So he's shown you a ceiling as well. And this is cheaper than we've seen Bo Nix for most of the season here at $9,000. So I will gladly buy the discount in a matchup where he's implied to score 42 points as a team. Yeah, I think this is a great spot for Bo Nix. On the other side, do not sleep on Caden Salter though. I think he makes for a very high ceiling game stacking partner with Bo Nix. Um, my primary interest in Salter would be playing him as a game stacking partner. I don't think I would play him and play nobody from the Oregon side. Um, Caden Salter does have three games this season over 40 fantasy points, um, which is not something that you see every day. He actually averages more fantasy points per game than Bo Nix, um, but he has not played the schedule that Bo Nix has. Um, when you look at how Salter does it as well, Salter actually scores a lot of his fantasy points with his legs. He averages 14 fantasy points per game rushing the football alone, um, which means that um, out of his 32.4, the other 18.4 are through the air. To me, how much he does rushing the football not only gives him a high ceiling, but it also gives him a high floor because even if Liberty does not look well in this game, you got to feel like getting him involved in design runs and in scrambling outside the pocket is a way that he can accumulate fantasy points. So um, I think Caden Salter is a really interesting play here on this slate. Now at the running back position, Oregon's Bucky Irving has declared for the draft, but is apparently playing in this game. Um, he has been kind of a disappointment lately, um, but I think that this is going to be a good matchup for him. Um, Irving has played, or he's been under 17 fantasy points in three straight games. But if you look at how, like, how the total was so low, he hasn't scored a rushing touchdown in those three games, which is unusual for a guy who has 12 rushing touchdowns on the season. Now, Liberty's defense, I don't think is ready for this Oregon rushing attack. Liberty gives up 3.9 yards per carry on the season, and that was against Conference USA competition. They have not played a team with a quality offensive line like Oregon, um, and so I could see Oregon just absolutely running roughshod over this Liberty defense, and I'm definitely going to be making some builds where I don't have Bo Nix, and I do have Bucky Irving, just in case, you know, all of Oregon's touchdowns come from the run game. I think this Oregon offense is going to be able to score one way or the other. And I think it actually wouldn't be a bad game stacking idea to pair Irving with Caden Salter on the Liberty side in case, you know, it goes back and forth and Oregon is still scoring all their touchdowns rushing the football. Now, on the Liberty side, Quentin Cooley is their workhorse back. Um, he averages 16.4 um, carries per game, um, which is pretty doggone good for a running back in college football. Um, Oregon's rush defense is pretty stout, though. They only give up 3.3 yards per carry, which definitely makes it a little bit tougher for Cooley. He's either going to need a lot of volume at 3.3 yards per carry, or he's going to need some touchdowns um, in order to hit value. But the good news is, is he does have five multi-touchdown games this season, so the upside is definitely there from playing Cooley. 
Cooley, and I don't think a whole lot of people are going to be rushing to play him. Now, the backup running backs in this game, don't discount them either. Um, Jordan James has vultured some touchdowns from Bucky Irving this season, as well as gotten some run um, in you know games where Oregon's won, won by multiple possessions. So if you think this game is a blowout, he might be an intriguing play. And then Billy Lucas is the RB2 for Liberty. This is such a run-heavy offense that even their RB2 has gotten double-digit carries in each of the last three games. Now, let's talk about the wide receiver position. So for Oregon, the big news is that Troy Franklin has opted out of the bowl. He averages 25 fantasy points per game. Um, so you got to feel like those 25 points that Franklin has have to be redistributed to the other Oregon wide receivers, right? Well, Tess Johnson was pretty much on par with Troy Franklin over the last five games of the season. In fact, if you add up their totals for the last five games, they were very close to even. Um, four of Tez Johnson's last five games were over 20 fantasy points and two of those four were over 30 fantasy points. So Tess Johnson already has a massive ceiling and a massive role in this offense, even when Troy Franklin was involved. So you got to feel like, you know, Franklin not being there, I don't think you can just dump all of Franklin's points onto Tess Johnson, but I think he's certainly not a worse play because Franklin is not a part of the offense. Now, the other guys that start at the wide receiver positions for Oregon are going to be Treshawn Holden and Gary Bryant Jr. Um, they've been just kind of meh this season, if I'm being honest. Um, all the all the production has gone to Franklin and Johnson. Um, and so maybe one of them could break out in this one now that Franklin is not involved in the offense. Um, and then also Kyler Casper is a guy I'm going to highlight. He's a freshman that all the beat writers at Oregon are really excited about, and they think he's going to get some extended run in this game. Um, he's only $3,000. Um, again, this is purely speculation. I'm, I'm not saying to go play Kyler Casper. I'm just saying that from what I have read, the beat reporters are hyping him up. They say he's really talented. They say he's going to get some run. So um, just something to um, take note of. And then at the tight end position, um, you also have two guys who will play for Oregon. You've got Terrence Ferguson and Patrick Herbert. I see them both as being touchdown dependent plays who very, very well may score a touchdown when, with Oregon being implied 42 points. Now, on the Liberty side, they have a very clear wide receiver one in C.J. Daniels. Um, what's interesting with Daniels is that I think he can be played stacked with Salter or unstacked as a one-off play. And let's break it down why. So over the course of the season, C.J. Daniels had five games over 20 fantasy points. That's enough right there. I think he's worthwhile as a one-off play. Now, when you look at value between you know Daniels and the quarterback, Salter, there were four games where Caden Salter hit four times value without C.J. Daniels hitting three times value. So that would make the argument that you can play Salter unstacked. There were two games where Daniels hit three times value and Caden Salter did not hit three times value. So there's a, a sample size of Salter hitting value and Daniels not and Daniels hitting value and Salter not. They hit three times value together five times. So there's also a likelihood that they both work as stacking partners. So um, what, I, what I mean to say in all that is Daniels is a guy that can be played stacked or unstacked with Caden Salter. Caden Salter, because of his rushing upside, can be played stacked or unstacked with C.J. Daniels. But either way, I think they are both very much in play in this game where their team is implied 26 points. Now, the, for the rest of the Liberty wide receivers, um, Noah Frith had the big conference USA championship game kind of out of nowhere. Um, he's only $3,500 on DraftKings still. I think he might be worth a look also. Um, and then you have Aaron Bedgood, who is kind of this hybrid running back wide receiver role who gets a lot of design touches. Um, we've talked about him multiple times this season. Um, I believe when Liberty, every time Liberty has been on the slate, I've kind of mentioned him because of his role in this offense. Um, and I definitely think he is worth a shot at only $3,700. 
And then you also have the tight end, Bentley Hanshaw. Um, he has four double-digit fantasy point games, um, $3,900 on DraftKings. Not my favorite play. I think there's other values out there. All right, now the third game of the day is the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl between Iowa and Tennessee. And look, if there's any game in this five-game slate that you're just going to cross off, let it be this one. This is by far the worst game environment of the slate. Anytime you have Iowa involved, it's generally hard to play anybody on either side because Iowa is so constipated offensively and so good defensively. Um, and so it just makes it really hard to target guys in an Iowa game. And um, in this game, Tennessee is six-point favorites. The total is 35 and a half. So the implied total is Tennessee 21 to 15. Um, and like I said, I, I think you can just cross this game off entirely, but I'm still going to talk about it. Um, Deacon Hill, is Iowa's quarterback. He hasn't scored more than 12 fantasy points in a game all season long. Pass. Um, Nico Iamaleva nailed it. Um, he is Tennessee's starting quarterback for this game with Joe Milton in the draft. He's a super talented freshman um, who is, you know, got a lot of hype in Knoxville. I don't really know if he's actually going to be any good. What I do know is it's a tough matchup against Iowa. His team's only implied 21 points. Um, this Iowa defense has only um, surrendered 22 points, more than 22 points, to one opponent, and that was Penn State. Drew Auer had 24 fantasy points in that game, and that was with four touchdowns. You just don't move the ball against Iowa throwing it. Um, your only hope would be that he has multiple touchdowns, and, and so for that reason, pass. Now, at the running back position, Iowa's LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson split carries. They're both good players. They're both not bad, but they split carries. Pass. Um, Tennessee's Dylan Sampson is going to be their workhorse back in this game. Um, you know, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small are both opting out of this game. Tennessee had employed a three-headed monster with Wright, Small, and Sampson, and now it's only Sampson. He's literally looking around like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air meme with Will Smith at the end of it, like he's the only one left in the room now. So um, he should have a lot of workload in this game. Um, where it goes, I don't know, because Iowa only surrenders 3.0 yards per carry on the season. But the good news is, is that if you combined Wright, Small, and Sampson into one player this season, um, then they would have scored 33 fantasy points per game. So maybe getting the whole workload is enough to get Dylan Sampson over the edge. At the wide receiver position, both these teams are pretty concentrated. Um, Iowa essentially only throws to three guys, and that is Ostrenga, Brown, and Reganey. Again, I'm just not really interested in attacking this Iowa passing offense. Pass. Um, since the injury to Brew McCoy, Tennessee has gotten very concentrated as well. Squirrel, Squirrel White has seen a lot of heavy volume, especially in terms of like short and intermediate passes, which may be how they decide to attack this Iowa defense. Ramel Keaton is the deep threat, so he may be a guy that all he needs is one 60-yard touchdown to hit value. Um, and then you've also seen Chaz Nimrod operate as the third receiver in recent weeks. Um, you will also see a little bit of Caleb Webb. But again, I am not going to be targeting this game heavily. I'm just getting you good getting you guys those names so that way you know who is the starters and, and who to play and who not to play if you do choose to target this game. The thing is with DFS, and I say this all the time, sometimes a bad play becomes a good play when nobody plays it. And so um, maybe, you know, nobody is going to play this Iowa-Tennessee game, and so maybe you might be the only one that plays it if, if one of these guys does go off. That's about the only endorsement I can give of this is that all those guys are going to be very lowly owned. All right, that does it for the first segment. So that was the first three bowl games of the day. Now we get to have some fun. Now we get to talk about the college football playoffs. So let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then we are going to talk CFP. 
talking to CFP, I do want to mention there are a few places where you can get more information from me. First off, you can follow me on Twitter, AKX at Mike's Money Picks. Um, I do my best to tweet out the DFS rundown for every college football and college basketball slate, as well as tweet out any updates to the show, um, you know, whether it be on YouTube, audio, whatever. Um, I tweet out all the updates on there. Um, and then I'm also more than happy to answer any start, sit, or lineup questions on Twitter if you reach out to me. Um, just um, at Mike's Money Picks, reach out to me if you need anything. Um, I'm also in the Fantasy Corner Discord. Link is in the description on YouTube as well as um, on the audio feed. Basically, the Fantasy Corner Discord has a lot of smart people who play a lot of DFS for a lot of different sports. Um, and basically, for college football, college basketball, NFL, NBA, we're in there every day, bouncing ideas off each other, talking strategy, talking lineups, um, and then sweating it out, watching the games and chatting in there together. And it's a lot of fun. It's a great community to be a part of. And um, if you're looking for people to talk DFS with, I could not recommend it more. And then I also write a full article for every college football and college basketball slate to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. I profile my core plays as well as kind of my lineup strategy and attack strategy for the slate. Um, there are not a whole lot of people out there doing this for college football and college basketball. I'm not going to sit here and promise that you're going to instantly win GPPs, but I can promise it that you can read it, um, get the information, get the strategy, and, and use it to help make your process better. And lastly, if you're looking to try something new this college football season, or really, I guess, 2024, because some places, some laws just changed if you're watching this on January 1st. Um, if you're looking to sign up for any new DFS player prop or sportsbook site, head on over to signupexpert.com slash Mike's Picks. Um, they give you the best offers and promo codes for any new users on any of those sites. Um, and it'll even sync to your location and show you what is available to you in your state or province. Um, so signupexpert.com slash Mike's Picks if you want to try something new. All right. So Let's go ahead and talk these two college football playoff games. Now, I will go ahead and get this out of the way. There, there was a lot of controversy behind the selection of this college football playoff. And look, I get it. If I were an FSU fan and my team went undefeated and did not get in, I would be sick. I would be gutted that my team didn't get a chance to um, compete in this playoff. But at the same time, I don't think FSU would have been competitive and especially without Jordan Travis. And and I think if FSU wanted to be in the playoff, they should have beat Louisville 59 to nothing in the ACC championship game. But what what's going to happen with this college football playoff, though, is Alabama and Texas are going to give us a good product for these two games. And all of the controversy about the selection between those two teams, or really just that one team with Alabama, is going to be gone because the product on the field is going to be good. The committee ended up picking four teams that um, are going to give you two two good football games, in my opinion. And, and I think this should, should be a very entertaining college football playoff. Now, whether that's the right way to do it or the fair way to do it is another story, but I think that all the controversy behind the selection of the four teams is going to go away once the two games actually happen on the field. So this first game, the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Michigan, the one four matchup. Um, we've got Michigan as a two point favorite um, in a total of 44 and a half, one of the lowest totals of the day, um, and which means the implied total is Michigan 23 to 21. Um, I see this being what Vegas does. I see it being a low scoring defensive slugfest between two teams that love to run the football and play defense. Um, I was hoping that we would get a discount on JJ McCarthy on DraftKings for this game. Um, he has not scored over 13 fantasy points in a game um, since or in his last five games, um, which is not good. 
It's really not good. It's not indicative of somebody who's priced at $7,800. Um, and he has one passing touchdown in his last five games. That's, again, that's not what we want in DFS, right? Now, the good news is, is I believe that the J.J. McCarthy of last year and earlier this season is still in there somewhere. You know, six of his first eight games this season were over 22 fantasy points. Um, so I think J.J. McCarthy could be a sneaky contrarian play if... Alabama sells out to shut down the run. You got to remember with Nick Saban and the way he approaches games, it's very Belichickian because that's who he learned from. Nick Saban is going to try to take away what you do best when he plays against you. And so if he shows up and just says, we're going to put eight or nine in the box and we're going to dare you to beat us throwing, then J.J. McCarthy could have a pretty successful day passing the football. We have seen this Bama secondary not hold up all that well against the likes of Texas and against um, against Georgia. They didn't look all that great in spurts either. So um, I could definitely make an argument that J.J. McCarthy should be a sneaky DFS play in this game. Now, for the Alabama side... I'm going to be honest, Jalen Milrow is the primary guy that I am targeting for my DFS lineups because he's kind of a one-man army in terms of production because of what he does throwing the football and running the football. It's really kind of a fool's errand to look at like a season um, season sample of totals for Milrow because basically what ended up happening was um, after the Ole Miss game, Alabama pretty much retooled their entire offense to take advantage of Milrow's legs and, and, you know, kind of feature that and showcase that. And they made the decision that he was the quarterback going forward. So um, that's kind of how their, their season has gone. But in their last four games against FBS competition, Jalen Milrow is averaging 15 carries per game. So um, you're, you're getting a guy who is basically a running back plus a quarterback when you when you roster Jalen Milrow. And, and for that reason, I am very interested in playing him. I think that um, with Alabama being implied 21 points, it's very likely that he accounts for um, all three of those touchdowns that they score. And, and I think that he is a very solid play in DFS for what he does running and throwing. Now on the um, running back side of things, um, I'm not overly interested in the Bama running backs. Um, you got McClellan and Roydell Williams um, who are going to split carries in all likelihood. McClellan only had two games all season over 17 fantasy points and none above 22 fantasy points. Roydell Williams only had one game above 15 fantasy points. There's just not a whole lot of ceiling there with Jalen Milrow being such a part of the run game, especially with all the touchdowns that Milrow accounts for. Now for Michigan, Blake Corum ended the season strong all it needed for Blake Corum to start looking good as a DFS option was for Michigan to start playing better competition and them having to be pushed in these games a little bit because once that happened, Blake Corum has scored 20 fantasy points or more in five straight games and he has scored two touchdowns or more in five straight games. So um, Blake Corum is a really solid, solid play in my opinion. Again, I do think you have to be worried about Alabama showing up and daring Michigan to throw the football and taking the run away from them, but I do think the quorum is a very solid play nonetheless. Um, Alabama is not as bad of a matchup as you would think rushing the football. Um, they surrender 3.7 yards per carry on the season, which ranks 29th in the nation, um, and we kind of saw... Ole Miss had some success running the football against Bama. Texas had a lot of success running the football against Bama. Um, and I, I don't think they're this like invulnerable, impenetrable defense. Um, and so I do think Quorum is a legitimate option for DFS lineups as well. 
now at the wide receiver position um the michigan passing game runs between three guys and if the, the good news is if you want to play jj mccarthy you only have to worry about stacking him with one of these three guys and that is roman wilson cornelius johnson and then the tight end colston loveland um roman wilson is the only guy all season who has really had um the ability to hit value in a game without J.J. McCarthy hitting value. You know, he had 26.3 fantasy points against Purdue, where McCarthy did not throw for a touchdown. Um, he also had 21.8 against Nebraska when, when Roman Wilson had a two-touchdown game. Um, so Roman Wilson has the ability to hit value as a one-off play. Um, and if you remember the college football playoff last year, he had a huge game against TCU. Um, so maybe he is a big-time playoff performer um, on the bright lights in the big stage. And Roman Wilson definitely has my interest on this one. Monday slate. Now, the other guy that don't forget about him is Cornelius Johnson, who, um, you know, coming into last season really profiled as Michigan's best wide receiver. And he started off the season pretty good. In the middle of the season was not that great. And then had nine catches for 64 yards against Iowa, which is really solid. So um, don't forget about Cornelius Johnson. He's only 4,200. And I think he could definitely make for a very solid value play. Now on the Iowa or Alabama side, almost called them Iowa. That was almost a Freudian slip. Um, I think you can play Jalen Milrow unstacked with a wide receiver because of how much he does rushing the football. But if you do play him stacked, their passing offense runs through two guys, and that is Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond. So Burton has been the more productive fantasy wide receiver over the course of the season. He has had more ceiling games over the course of the season. But if you look at why, it's because he is dependent on the deep ball. There are seven games this year where Jermaine Burton has a catch of 40 yards or more. And in all seven of them, well, six of those seven, he was able to score more than 13 fantasy points. In all the other games... He didn't account for more than 11 fantasy points. So you're really, if you're rostering Jermaine Burton, you're dependent on him catching a deep ball or multiple deep balls to pay off value. What we've seen over the course of the end of the season for Alabama is they have really gone to Isaiah Bond as their more dependable target. Five catches for 75 yards and a touchdown against Auburn. Five for 79 against Georgia. On key third and fourth downs against Georgia, Jalen Milrow was looking for Isaiah Bond. Um, and so I think he is the guy that I would prefer to play over Jermaine Burton because I think Jermaine Burton can definitely be a little more boom bust. Bond is a little more of a sure thing. Now, let's go and talk about the last game of the night. Finally, my Texas Longhorns. So um, the Sugar Bowl um, being played between Texas and Washington. Texas is four-point favorites, um, and the total is 63.5. So the implied total is about 34 to 30 in favor of Texas. And I got to be honest, I see this game as being – strength against weakness on both sides of the football. I think this game is going to be a track meet. I think this game is going to feature a lot of points that are scored um, because when you look at it, Texas's weakness is their secondary. Washington's strength is their wide receivers and their quarterback. That matches up perfectly. Um, Texas's strength offensively is being able to run the football to generate play action and Washington gives up some big plays, and, and they're not really great at stopping the run. So I think that you know both offenses are going to be able to have a lot of success here in this game. Now, from a DFS perspective, 
This is the lowest price we've seen on Michael Penix Jr. all season long, and it's because of what he's done lately. Um, he's had three straight games of less than 23 fantasy points, um, which is not ideal. He has not thrown for more than two touchdowns in a game since week nine against Stanford. That dates back five games. Um, so definitely not you know, a good run of recent form for Michael Penix Jr. Um, but like I said, I think this is... I think this game turns into a track meet, and I think if you're looking to stack this game or you're looking to take advantage of this Texas secondary, I think that Michael Penix Jr. is definitely a way that you can do that. Quinn Ewers on the other side has three games this season over 30 fantasy points. One thing we heard about Quinn Ewers after last season was that he didn't really have that high of a ceiling, and he's kind of shown this year that he does. Um, you know, he... Those three games over 30 fantasy points, he had 300 yards in all three of them and threw for multiple touchdowns in all of them. You know, the Oklahoma State game was kind of like his magnum opus. He just looked really good. Personally, as a Texas fan, I love how Steve Sarkeesian calls a game for Quinn Ewers to use what is his skill set, and that is his ability to make decisions and release the ball and get the ball to the spot very quickly. Um... There's a lot of RPOs in this offense where Quinn's quick release gets the ball there quicker than other quarterbacks, and it just creates more space and gives guys more room to run than you would have if, if the ball wasn't getting there as fast. So um, really a big fan of Quinn Ewers, as you can probably tell. So um, I actually think that Washington is a defense you can play quarterbacks against. They gave up 34 fantasy points to Kayla Williams and 27 fantasy points to Bo Nix twice this season. Um, so when they did play good quarterbacks, good quarterbacks did have success against them. My primary interest in playing both of these guys would probably be to play them together in a game stack. I think that for either of these guys to reach their ceiling, it would probably require the other to reach their ceiling as well. Because if Washington is scoring a lot of points, that is going to cause Texas to play more aggressive offensively. Steve Sarkeesian will get super conservative if he's playing with a lead, which would lead to less passing volume for Quinn Ewers and less fantasy points for Quinn Ewers. So if Penix is scoring a lot of points, I think that'll lead to you are scoring a lot of points. This would be probably my favorite game of the day to stack up with both quarterbacks. Now, at the running back position, I have zero interest in playing Dylan Johnson of Washington, just being honest. I think he's touchdown dependent, and um, I, not, I think he's a solid player. Don't get me wrong, but this this is not how you attack Texas. You, you do not attack Texas running the football. You do not score touchdowns on them running the football because their defensive line is elite. Only two players all season have rushed for 100 yards against Texas. That was Harrison Whaley of Wyoming, who did a lot of that in garbage time, and Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma, who did it from the quarterback position. So um, I just, you know, even the great Ollie Gordon, um, Devin Neal, um, DJ Giddens, none of them got 100 yards against Texas. So I have no interest in Dylan Johnson for that reason. Texas is going to play three backs. C.J. Baxter is going to get the first crack. He is a super talented freshman. I really like C.J. Baxter. I think he's the future of the running back position for the Longhorns. Um, and if the game is close, if the game is in the balance, he's the guy you're going to see the most of. But you will see um, them spell him with some carries for Jaden Blue. You will also see Keelan Robinson. He plays kind of like a gadget role. They will bring him in to run jet sweeps or to catch um, screen passes, stuff like that. Um, you know, they will get him involved in the offense because of his elite speed. Um, so he would be a guy that if you're playing um, showdown DFS or if you're playing, um, you know, the small slate, if you're just playing the college football playoffs, like Keelan Robinson would definitely be a guy I would have my eye on um, because he could come in and have two carries for two touchdowns. Now at the wide receiver position, um, this is where this game gets interesting to me. So um, Washington 
has their big three receivers all back. Romo Dunes, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan. Um, the Pac-12 title game was the first game that they had all three played healthy since week three. And in that game, you had Romo Dunes go for eight catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. You had Jalen, or I'm sorry, he did not score a touchdown, just eight for 102. Um, you had Jalen Polk go for five for 57, and you had Jalen McMillan go for nine for 131. Um, the other weapons, Westover the tight end, Giles Jackson, um, Devin Culp at tight end, and Jeremy Bernard, they'll be used in packages, but the three receivers, Odunze, Polk, and McMillan, those are the guys who are going to play all of the snaps. Now, I think it's important to look at with these three the four games that they have played together. Um, so weeks one through three and the Pac-12 title game. Um, Romo Dunze has averaged 28.3 fantasy points in those four games. Jaywin McMillan has averaged 26.2 fantasy points in those four games. And then Jaywin Polk has averaged 20.1 fantasy points in those four games. Odunze actually has McMillan beat out by one in terms of total catches. So um, I think if you are playing Michael Penix Jr., I think it would be wise to play one or maybe even two of these guys. Um, my preferences would be Odunze and McMillan. I think that when all three of these guys are active, I think that, you know, it kind of, um, Jaywin Polk turns into the third wheel a little bit. And so I think Odunze and McMillan are the two you would want. If I was only playing one of them, in terms of a point per dollar play, I think McMillan is the best points per dollar play out of those three wide receivers. Now on the Texas side, this is another interesting scenario. The good news is that they have a super concentrated wide receiver room. You've got Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, and Jordan Whittington at wide receiver, and Jatavion Sanders at tight end. Those are the only four that play. They run 11 personnel pretty much the entire game. If they do any kind of substitution, they bring an extra running back on. They don't bring an extra wide receiver on. So um, those four are going to be playing all of the snaps. That's the best news with Texas's receiving core. Now, over the course of the season, Adonai Mitchell was the more productive Texas wide receiver over the second half of last season, but it's because of his touchdown total. Adonai Mitchell has 10 touchdowns on the season, whereas Xavier Worthy only only has five touchdowns on the season. So um, if you are a touchdown regression person, I think it stands to reason that Worthy is due for some touchdown regression. Um, and I think that they're both very solid plays in their own right. I think they're both very solid plays as stacking partners. More on that in a second. Jatavion Sanders, the tight end, is a huge mismatch for opposing defenses. Um, he has not been healthy all season long. If he had been healthy, he would not be $4,700 on DraftKings right now. He just had his best game of the season against Oklahoma State. Eight catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown. Now, when it comes to playing um, Texas wide receivers, if I were playing or if I were stacking up Quinn Ewers, I would probably stack him up with two Texas wide receivers. And the reason why is because when you look at Worthy and Mitchell's game logs, the two of them combined for 40 fantasy points in six of 12 games this season. All of the games that Quinn Ewers went big, the two of them combined for over 40 fantasy points. So um, if you are counting on a big game from Quinn Ewers, just go ahead and play two of um, the Texas wide receivers. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be Worthy and Sanders because or Worthy and Mitchell, excuse me, because Sanders, in his own right, in two of those games where Worthy and Mitchell accounted for 40 fantasy points, Sanders added on another 19 and another 28.7. So um, there's plenty to go around when Quinn Ewers is on it. There's enough to feed two wide receivers easily in this Texas wide receiver room. And so if I'm playing Quinn Ewers in my DraftKings lineups, it is going to be with at least two of these Texas wide receivers between Worthy, Mitchell, Sanders, and Whittington. All right, so that does it for the 
college football. No, or not new, November 1st, it's New Year's Day. New Year's Day slate of college football DFS on DraftKings and Fandu. We broke down all five games, including the two college football playoff games. Um, if I had to give official picks for these two college football playoff games, obviously, you know who I'm picking for the Sugar Bowl. I'm, I'm picking my Texas Longhorns, um, and I think that Michigan is going to get it done against Alabama. I think that Michigan kind of has that us-against-the-world mentality right now, and I think Alabama is actually um, – surprisingly limited offensively and not as good defensively as we think. So um, I think you're going to have a Michigan-Texas national championship game, and we'll see if I'm right about that. I, I certainly hope I'm right about half of that. Um, the irony of it is that at the start of the season, you know, we did the preview show with my dad on here, and, um, you know, we were making picks for our college football playoffs, and I said outright that I did not want Texas to be in the college football playoff because I was worried that um, they would show up and they would get trounced by Georgia or Alabama because they are not on the same level as Georgia or Alabama. Well, that went out the window week two when they showed up and, and beat Alabama and, and looked like the stronger, more physical, more confident football team. And so I'm ecstatic that my team is in the playoff, and I think that my team has a genuine chance to win the national championship, and, and I cannot wait to watch it. And, and I'm hoping that while that is going on, I'm hoping that I'm able to make some money playing DFS as well. So, um, if you guys like what you saw here in this video, um, go ahead and hit the like button on YouTube, rate and review to the audio feed as well. It really does help me out a lot. It does not fall on deaf ears, and I really do appreciate it. Um, you guys are the best community out there, and, and it really does help when you guys hit the like button and um, rate and review the podcast. So, um, Lastly, if you do want more from me, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Join the Fantasy Corner Discord. Um, you know, I'll be talking in there pretty much all Monday morning um, as I'm lineup building. Um, and then I have the full articles on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks if you want to check those out. All right, that does it for this slate. Um, we will be back once more for college football season because um, we are going to do a showdown DFS episode for the national championship game. Um, so we will be back for that. So, um, you know, this isn't the end of college football season here on Mike's Money Picks, but it's certainly darn close to it. So um, if you've been with us throughout the rest or all of college football season, hopefully I've been able to give you guys some good information, um, help you guys win some money on DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, come back for college basketball because um, college basketball DFS, very similar game to college football DFS. I cannot stress that enough. Um, and I hope that you guys will join us on there as well. All right. So Let's go ahead and end it there. That does it for this episode. Can't wait to watch these college football playoff games, y'all. Um, I want to wish everybody a happy new year 2024, whether you are watching this in 2023 or 2024. Happy new year 2024. Best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors. Enjoy your new year. Enjoy these college football playoff games. Thank you guys for watching and listening, and I will see you guys next time.